Welcome. We come together to come alive to Jesus. Uh, the Bible tells us that God is enthroned in the, place, in the praises of his people, which means that when we come to worship him, we come alive to who he is. That suddenly the mountains don't look bigger than God. The giants don't look scarier than God. The darkness doesn't feel more real than the light. Because when we worship him, when we lift our voices to him, there is a work that the Spirit does to remind us of who it is that is with us on the road. And so that is why we come together as people of faith to sing to our Savior, but also as we sing to worship him, we are also ministering to each other. Because as we hear one another's voices, we take courage, we take comfort, we take hope. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father, it is you who says to us that the battle is not our own. The fight is not our own. It is yours. It is yours. It is yours to fight. And Lord, perhaps we come this morning right in the middle of a battle, right in the middle of a fight. As we worship you, Lord, may the truth of those words sink home for us. May we be drawn into the reality of a God who fights for us in Jesus. And maybe we come singing at the end of a battle that you have won. Then may our voices rise up to you in thanksgiving in the way that you deserve. But Lord, however we come this morning, let us find Jesus. Jesus, it is you that we seek. However we come this morning, in the darkness, in the light, with a mountain, with a valley, with a giant, with the green pastures, however we come this morning, Lord, let us find Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so Paul says these words. From Romans 5, he says, You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his great love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Let us stand and sing of that great love that God shows to us in Christ Jesus. Stand if you can.
We worship you for your amazing love. Your amazing love. You have died in our place, Jesus, so we will live. But there is so much, Lord, that can drain life from us. But we know that in you is fullness of life. So we cry that through your Holy Spirit in this place, you captivate our gaze. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's turn our eyes to Jesus. So let us help each other to turn our eyes to Jesus. Just around the room, just shout out who Jesus is. Because there may be someone here that needs to hear that truth. So just around the room in this space, just shout out who Jesus is. Yes, Jesus, you are all these and so much more. Open our eyes to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, all over the room, all over the room, Holy Spirit, by your great power, in your great compassion, may eyes be open to see Jesus. May ears be open to hear him, hearts to receive him, minds to discern him. Holy Spirit, by your great power, shatter the strength of darkness. Expose the lie of the enemy. Crush the mountains, Holy Spirit, as your people, as the beloved of Jesus, see him. We will not be harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Our shepherd is mighty. Our shepherd is with us. Our shepherd is Jesus. We surrender to you, Holy Spirit, in this space. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We, we're continuing our series on the I Am Saints of Jesus and shortly Paul will be sharing with us on Jesus as the light of the world. Paul looks like he's not expecting to be sharing. <laughs> Today, yes. Okay. Um, but before, before Paul comes to join us and before we, we sing to draw us into that space, as we continue to fix our eyes on the person of Jesus Christ, um, may the seeds of your word fall on good soil and be fruitful in our lives. In Jesus' name. I'm so pleased we have that song uh, before I speak, because it's always really disconcerting to have there must be more than this after you've spoken. <laughs> We're um, in the second in the series of uh, I Am Statements of Jesus. Um, uh, if you weren't here, Sharon did an incredible job uh, last week of launching us into this series um, by looking at I am the bread of life. It was beautiful and, grit and gritty and personal. Uh, and if you didn't uh, get to hear it, um, it's probably worth downloading and uh, listening to quietly in the next 25 minutes or so. Um, 
the nature of the bread of life, which Sharon brought out, was very personal, intimate, and internal. Um, this week's quite the opposite. Um, it's very big and public and external. Um, in Deeper, the teenage um, discipleship group, home group, um, that runs midweek, we've been working through a series um, around the film Divergent. And uh, without going into uh, too much detail, we were looking at bravery a few weeks ago. Um, so we started off talking about fears, um, and it very quickly turned to talking about um, uh, light switches and darkness and ghosts and uh, wardrobes and things like that. Um, trying to move the discussion back on track at least a little bit, um, uh, we, we, started, uh, we started talking about situations that you need to be brave to do the right thing, even when it was costly to you. Um, but try as I might, we just perpetually return to talking about light switches and darkened rooms. Uh, there's something um, uh, about darkness that at an instinctive level um, just makes your heart beat a little bit faster. Uh, or if you're a teenager who's watched too many movies, triggers the fear response of panic for a light switch. When um, uh, Leslie and I were in full-time youth work, um, we had to take part in something called bivvying out. It wasn't fun. <laughs> it involved the two of us and about 20 teenagers sleeping in the forest in the middle of Northumberland. Each of us spaced out a few hundred yards from each other um, uh, uh, in nothing but a sleeping bag. Um, it was minus four with snow forecast. It was the darkest darkness I think I've ever known. And it was terrifying. So it's not surprising that uh, um, the Bible uses light as a metaphor. Um, but actually, um, yeah, but actual light itself is also a theme that crops up again and again in the Bible. The Bible is bathed with light from the very beginning until the end. It starts with this explosion of light in the first three verses of the first book of the Bible. The first thing to be created um, in what we now call the universe was light. Let there be light, God declares. And at the other end, the Bible finishes with light obliterating anything that remains of the darkness in the very last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 22, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Sandwiched between these two references are flashes of light throughout the whole Old and New Testament. We have uh, light being blotted out. One of the plagues in Egypt saw the Egyptians in thick darkness, while just down the road, the Israelites had light. Later on, that those same people... Um, when they left Egypt, God appeared to them as a pillar of fire, giving them light as they travelled. Numerous places in the Old Testament, um, we see dawn as the bringer of light, either signalling the beginning of something momentous or challenging, um, or revealing the catastrophes of the night before. Light radiates out from the book of Psalms, there's nearly 30 separate references to it. Psalm 104, the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. Psalm 139, the night will shine like day, 
for the darkness is as light to you. In contrast, light being extinguished is quite often linked to apocalyptic happenings. Isaiah 13, the stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Light's a central part of worship in the Old Testament, giving detailed instructions of how lamps and their positions on lampstands and how they should be continually burning. So it's onto this background that Jesus bursts onto the scene saying that he is the light of the world. One of the most famous um, uh, paintings of Jesus um, is by uh, William Holman Hunt. Uh, It's called The Light of the World, famously showing Jesus standing, knocking at a door with no handle, um, uh, illustrating the verse in in Revelation. Uh, It's a great picture. Um, uh, and I'm a big pre-Raphaelite fan, don't get me wrong. Um, and this image itself has actually been uh, responsible for bringing people to faith. But I must admit, I'm a bit disappointed by the title of it. Um, this isn't really the light of the world that the Bible talks about. If Jesus had described himself as the faint glimmer of the world... I'll give Holman Hunt that. Fair enough. Um, But there's this overwhelming, darkness-consuming explosion of light that's the power behind Jesus' metaphor. Light is at the heart of our whole existence. It's why so many people through history, history have worshipped the sun rather than its creator. Without light, sunlight in particular, not only would we not exist, but the world itself would be a dead place, just a frozen ball floating through space. It's a key part of photosynthesis, and clearly I'm getting onto dodgy ground here, um, for most plant life on Earth, um, and therefore for primary and secondary food for us. It's a source of vitamin D, apparently, um, which prevents a whole host of ills for us all. Um, and light is going to be a key part of the solution to the global energy crisis. And all of these pictures in themselves are, um, are pictures of God in, um, in their own right. But the purpose that most readily comes to mind for most of us um, is the extinguishing of darkness. Uh, I was a little disparaging of young Holman Hunt's picture. But the role of light, even in that picture, is something that was very precise and careful. It said that the light in the background um, was taken um, from the dawn light that he remembers on a visit to the Holy Land. Even the poor light from the lantern in Jesus' hand takes away the darkness and illuminates the door. On that bivying experience in Northumberland, uh, one of the rules was no torches. Clearly, they'd not met teenagers before. Um, uh, And even in the days before phones, somebody had managed to sneak out a little torch with them. Um, And in the middle of the night, when the noises were going on all around us, uh, somebody switched on a torch. I've no idea how far away it was, um, but it must have been hundreds of feet away. But... Um, In that darkness, it seemed to light up so much. 
probably just with two AA-sized batteries. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 5, no, it's not on the slide, um, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Darkness can never stand against light. It always gives in. Whether it's a light that obliterates the darkness or a glimmer of light from a city on a hill far away, the darkness has no option but to concede. It might be a light that washes over you and warms you on a hot summer's day, or the light of a lighthouse shining in the darkness that carries us safe to shore. I should write a song about that. Um, The light wins every time. So, who is the light of the world? This sounds a daft question, so stay with me for a moment, Um, particularly when the title of this talk is Jesus, the light of the world. Um, I am the light of the world, he says. But among the I am statements um, in John's gospel, um, this one, I am the light of the world, is unique. All the other six statements can only be related to Jesus. Um, Yep, let's read it. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Question answered, Jesus is the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, he says something a little different. Uh, I actually read most of the verse just now. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, is it Jesus, or is it us? Discussion groups, and no. Um, uh, I think part of the key comes in the next chapter after Jesus had said he was the light. In John 9, he says this, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So, It looks like Jesus is the light uh, uh, for a while, and then he kind of passes the baton over to us. He was the light in in the world, um, uh, and now he's not. We are the light of the world. But that only works if Jesus has left, and Jesus hasn't left the world. He's still in the world today, and he lives in us by his Holy Spirit. So it's not so much like passing the baton over, um, uh, uh, as, as the light of world continuing to shine through us. We're a bit like the moon. We don't have any light of our own to shine. We only shine because we reflect the sun. The metaphor starts getting a little bit mixed and messy here. Um, uh, but Jesus, the light of the world, shines through us, making us the light in the darkness, the light of the world. 
We are light shining in the darkness. A couple of people prayed that when um, we, were, we were praying just now. And I do wonder whether this is actually the rallying cry for us as a church, both us as a church here in Alton and us as a church in the UK. Because I wonder whether we're actually in the new dark ages. The term dark ages is used to describe, um, again, I'm not a historian, so don't throw rocks, um, uh, but either part of the Middle Ages or the whole of the Middle Ages, there seems to be some dispute over the matter, um, but the, uh, the common factor on, on all these things seems to be it's applied retrospectively and rather negatively. But maybe our generation in the West need to call it out and declare that we're in a new dark age. It's not true for the whole world, but for the Western world, it is spiritually pretty dark. We live in a generation that's the least informed about the Bible and spiritual truths than we've had for 200 years. If you Google it, there's loads of um, differing numbers about the percentages of Brits that believe in God, but the consistent message um, uh, seems to be uh, that the younger people are, the less likely they are to believe. And that's not a great trend. Personally, I felt the shift in people's response to the gospel. When I started working with Agape some 25, 30 plus long... Oh, wow. <laughs> I am that old. Um, a long while ago now. Um, it wasn't uncommon for me to meet someone, start a conversation with them, um, uh, and see them decide to accept Jesus there and then. I must admit, I can't remember the last time uh, anything close to that had happened. And the most troubling part, as I was thinking about this for myself, is that I've seen myself grow less confident that the Holy Spirit is already at work in people's lives, drawing them to him. As believers, it certainly feels like we're living in the new dark ages. But, just like in that forest in Northumberland, the darker it gets, the brighter even the smallest light shines. You are the light of the world. So what does the light illuminate? I think in different times and different places, it illuminates different things. And it's like there's, there's different types of darkness. One bit of history that I know a little bit about. Back in AD uh, 635, the first missionary came to Northumberland, a monk named Aidan. He found a particular darkness, the darkness of the unknown. Nobody, apart from the king at the time, knew about Jesus. And his job was to slowly turn up the light in the darkness of the unknown. The reports of him talk about him first offering the milk of gentle doctrine before turning up that light a little further on all that Jesus was and could be in their lives. He was the light of the Northeast, uh, and over his lifetime, uh, communities of faith, faith were built throughout Northumbria, as it was known back then. I spent uh, last, a good chunk of last week in Paris with uh, some of our organisations um, 
leaders in North Africa, the Middle East, and all of the scariest countries it is to be a believer. This is a very different darkness, the darkness of opposition. I'm perpetually humbled by meeting with our people who, um, who work in this region. Um, those whose um, flickering light in those dark places um, is perpetually in danger of literally being snuffed out. Um, where taking a risk to even talk about your faith doesn't just open you up to a bit of ridicule and scorn, but could see you in jail or worse. And the danger is very real um, because the light of the, belie- the believers in those places shines so darn brightly, they stand out. I want them to be a little bit more discreet uh, or careful about their faith, but they have no intention of placing that lamp under a bowl. For us, I think we also have a very different kind of darkness to face, the darkness of indifference. It's a kind of twilight darkness. People think they're already living in light, so they don't want to hear about another one. But there are deep, dark areas in people's lives. And this is where the light of the world can shine the brightest. I've read a number of people recently um, uh, who point to our post-pandemic society as being people who are angry and anxious. And the more I interact with folk, the more I'm seeing this. Anger and anxiety are just leaking out of so many people on our community WhatsApp group on the road. It's full of fear and of outrage. Admittedly, uh, parking most of the time, but... (laughs) People in um, the corner shop that I I, uh, spend far too much time in, um, uh, which used to be quite a hub of community, are often surprisingly withdrawn now um, on one end, or really mad and shouty at the other end. Overhearing conversations in coffee shops, again, a place I also hang out with far too much. Uh, It's work. I do a lot of writing in coffee shops, honestly. Um, uh, The themes of anxiousness or getting really quite cross with someone um, seem to just dominate conversations that I hear. But these are the places that we are called to be the light of the world bringing the light of Jesus to shine on these situations. Jesus says to the anxious, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says to the angry and the distressed, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Even in the darkness of a time and place that's indifferent to Jesus, his light shines brightly, and it's our job to shine and to pass it on. Jesus calls us not just to shine brightly ourselves, but to be fire starters. Um, We were reading the passage in Acts 2 um, uh, about the birth of the first church in Jerusalem. Church meeting a few weeks ago. 
um, this is what it says. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Their light wasn't just a static thing. They expected the news to spread. In the Milan clip, um, uh, the light spreading and being passed on was a warning the nation of the approaching darkness. But our light that spreads from person to person is the good news of all that Jesus is and has done. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could echo the words of the early church and declare that the Lord was adding to our number daily those who were being saved? Beacons that were being lit, causing the next beacon to be lit, and the next, and the next. Reality check. This can often sound like a lot of hard work. But I do want to finish with Paul's encouragement in 2 Corinthians. Um, This is the verse that I've ended up spending quite a bit of time in this week. Remember our message is not about ourselves. We are proclaiming Jesus Christ, the master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. It started when God said, light up the darkness. And our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. We are message carriers, light bearers, fire starters. Our task is really only twofold. One, to stay shining by staying close to Jesus, the light of the world. And two, to show up in the places that God calls us to and be prepared to shine his light into people's lives as he provides the opportunities for us to do so. Let me pray for us all. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the light of the world. Thank you that the light that we bear isn't anything of our own, but it's you. We carry this treasure around with us. Lord, I pray for opportunities for each of us this week. Not in the um, grand evangelism plans and strategies that we have up our sleeve, but in our conversations, in our interactions. Lord, I pray that the people that we, uh, we encounter this week Um, We'll see the light of the world and we'll be drawn to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. We are the light of the world because Jesus dwells within us.